0: Welcome back to the Animation Deliberation Podcast, the podcast where we take action animation and cartoons seriously, but not too seriously. On this episode, we are continuing our coverage of Young Justice Season 2. We're tackling episodes 9 through 14. We're going to get into all that and more right after this. It's time for Animation Deliberation, a conversation and a celebration of our favorite action animated series. Yeah. Yeah. Woo. All right. Welcome back, folks. Uh, This is another exciting episode of Animation Deliberation. I'm your host, J. Scotty St. Clair, and joining me, as always, is our resident Young Justice aficionado, Zuhair Ali. What's going on, Zuhair? What's up, buddy?
1: I haven't talked to you in a whole 30 seconds <laughs> it's been so long
0: it's been so long steve it's been so long as uh as i mentioned we are uh continuing our coverage of young justice uh we did take a little uh deviation to uh cover a new show on amazon called invincible so uh hopefully during the course of this recording we do not uh get too mixed up and, and start to blur the two because they're both such High quality shows, but they do have unique identities, so I don't think that's really um, anything too much to worry about. If but. you're
1: watching Young Justice with your kids, do not let them watch Invincible. Do not. Very important. Do not. Very important.
0: <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank you. It's uh, basically like the boys animated as a little precursor. Expe- expect that level of gore. So. Anyway, we're not here to talk about Invincible anymore. anymore. We're here to talk about Young Justice, uh, chiefly Young Justice Invasion. And, you know, the first part of this season, we've had this threat, this invasion ongoing. The Light has partnered with this unknown partner, which I have, it's it's funny, I've been specu- speculating about for so long over the over the course of these few episodes, and I was definitely picking up on some things, but then... Just right out of the gate, uh, we get introduced to who this partner is pretty quickly, and that's a, a major thrust going forward. And that is the reach, um, this alien civilization that is very much tied into uh, Blue Beetle's origins. You know, I kind of mentioned in the in the past episode. I thought it was interesting that they were going a different direction with the Jaime Reyes version of Blue Beetle in terms of it being AI that uh, Ted Kord created. And lo and behold, they're not going that direction. They are actually embracing the comic origin that I was familiar with—that it is an extraterrestrial uh, weapon. Do you feel good about yourself? But uh, say again. Do you feel good about yourself? Uh, you know, uh, just a, just a little bit, just a <laughs> little bit. I feel like I've been like so off base in terms of the rest of my speculation that this did feel kind of good to be like right on the money. But uh, victory—the show did the show did pretty much broadcast it. Um, uh, but outside, outside of that, uh, the reach revelation and, and how that ties into blue beetle, uh, Aqualad was certainly, uh, a major character for certain parts of this arc, as well as everything that we've discussed before, you know, he, he was revealed to be a traitor. And then after that revealed to be a double agent. And, uh, he gets, he gets the opportunity to participate in some uh, pretty impactful events. So I'll kind of let you take the reins here, Zuhair. You, as always, um, selected this particular set of episodes and curated this particular episode arc for us to discuss. So with that kind of caveat of Aqualad that I have mentioned, go ahead and take the reins and, and let us know why you broke things down the way you did.
1: Yeah, I think you got most of it. One of the primary things I wanted to reveal is who the partner was. There was a mm-hmm. lot of hints uh, throughout the conversations between the Krolitaeans and their fear of Blue Beetle. So I really wanted to get to the point that not only is there a Black Beetle, but there's a Green Beetle as well. They inhabit different planets. They inhabit Ooh. different species. And there's a, there's a lot of lore that goes behind the, the Beetle family that we're going to be diving into a lot we got a good taste of it here, but uh, it definitely sets up on the events to come. But the other big storyline is that we've also talked in the past about how Miss Martian has gotten a little power crazy with her blunt—her mind-fucking abilities. Because she's really been messing some people definitely. up. And uh, Calderon, in his back and forth with Mount Justice, has been victim to that. There's been a lot of back and forth. There's been a lot of trust issues. There's been a lot of insecurities on how their plan is going and their secret of keeping Artemis alive. Uh, so, and then we got a couple of side stories here and there, especially with um, the Runaways. But I can't—they become uh, essential on what's going on with the storyline between uh, collider and what their what the Light's objective is with their partnership with mm-hmm. the Reach and what they're trying to do with the metahuman gene. So I feel like these episodes covered that a lot before we go into what may be our last section that wraps up this season.
0: Okay, yeah. That uh, definitely definitely makes sense. And uh, in terms of this, you know, the Reach's ultimate goal with this gene, it's Aqualad himself, when he's introduced to the Reach, and it's as... As he's being introduced to the Reach, it's kind of like we, the audience, are also being introduced to the Reach. Mm-hmm. Um, he very quickly picks up on the fact that they want to isolate and weaponize the the metagene. So, yeah, it's uh, interesting that we, the audience, have that information. But right as you know, the team discovers who this partner is and starts to get an inclination of what their ultimate goal goal is. The Reach basically pulls the rug out from under them, and takes all the momentum that they had going forward with this investigation. It's almost like all these sacrifices that uh, the team has made, especially Aqualad, almost seem all for naught because the light, or excuse me, not the light, the reach just come out and say, hey, here we are, we want to share our stuff, and uh, we want to be friends. And the public seems to buy right into it, you know. What's the guy's name? Gordon Godfrey. Yeah, G. uh, Gordon Godfrey mouthpiece that's been trashing the league the entire time he just yeah he's hook line and sinker for these guys i i'm i don't know much about that character if he's adapted from the comics at all at all but i'll be interested interested to see if he's not just like a a puppet um for the reach because he's really been uh dragging the uh the justice league through the mud
1: yeah fuck the reach for just kind of spilling in front of godfrey that not only is there a watchtower but that Leaguers are like intergalactic criminals.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then there's that, uh, that senator that just like he's right on the same page, just lapping up every word that the, um, the Reach ambassador has, Zen- Senator Zing. Yeah. And his response to that is like, Galactic criminals, like, what aren't you telling us? And then he's just so quick to, to side with the Reach. It's a little unsettling, but it just kind of shows the faultings of, captain adam as a leader as well we kind of alluded to that in the in the previous coverage that he was very militaristic and uh no nonsense so keep in mind that in the first episode that this was the same senator
1: that the cruel was posing as so we've seen him before and he's had this firsthand experience with being taken over by these aliens so you see his discomfort of like the reliability of the justice league and seeing that there's a species that's actually like willing to communicate with earthlings.
0: Yes. Yes. And that does, uh, perfectly kind of set them up for that foil later on where they can, the, the reach can kind of use it as an opportunity to be like, Oh, you guys see all of us aliens as the same when that Senator would have had, you know, the direct contact with the, the Crowlete. so, yeah, great point uh, to bring that up. And it definitely gives some more context, um, to that scene that i i didn't pick up as much of a a character that senator zing has has become Mm -hmm. i should have recognized him from his previous appearance so yeah thanks for uh for pointing that out you were just so excited about lobo in that episode (laughs) well yeah now we finally well i i guess actually maybe we uh we know that they were the competitor to the crolitans but i'm not sure if we still know who the main man is I wonder if, if if that might be Black Beetle cuz I'm pretty confident that Black Beetle was the silhouetted figure that we saw with Sportsmaster when they destroyed the Appalachian Golem. So, I think so. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, for the sorry, I got it mixed up with um with Molina Island because there was another uh shadow figure in that. But yeah, Black Beetle was definitely the one that was uh um the one who interfered with the Appalachian so, I oh. think he's the partner that the Crolotans were referring to, and Blue Beetle is the competitor. Oh. oh. Because they're like, holy sh- Because, remember, they were scared of him. They were like, holy shit. Like, even, um, who was it that pointed out, uh, Lagan pointed out, it was like, oh, they're afraid of you. And he was like, I don't know why. It's because
0: they're familiar with the Beetle. Yeah, right, right, right. Okay. All right. Yeah, that definitely, um... That all ties together pretty nicely. So many answers. Yes, yes, yes. But you you mentioned uh, Molina Island and um, the bombing there, and that was certainly set up for for something that happened pretty early on in um, this particular set of episodes that we're covering. So in episode nine, which was titled Darkest, I kind of like there was a particular set of, of episodes and it was like, we got episode nine was titled darkest and then the following one episode 10 was called before the dawn which is just a nice homage to you know the night is always darkest just before the dawn but i assure you the dawn is coming
1: i was also thinking of the the breaking benjamin album called dark before dawn but that's music related totally unrelated
0: yeah it's all con well oops wrong wrong universe. <laughs> I was going to say it's all connected but in the great multiverse, amalgam universe it is all. That's a little taste in the life of Zoo. <laughs> cool. Yeah, breaking Benjamin, we'll uh save that one. We'll put that in our back pockets. Uh remember that, guys. <laughs> but yeah, no, the the reason I bring that up is because yeah, obviously um Aqualad has this opportunity, you know, Previously, we had the whole fake out of him killing Artemis to get you know solidify his position in the light and get the knowledge of of this partner, the reach. so he basically you know brings this this alien technology which is revealed to be the reach, this bomb, and blows up Mount justice, which is a pretty pretty impactful thing in terms of this series. this has been our home just as much as it's been the home of of many of these characters you know superboy lived at mount justice as well as McGann, beast boy you know beast i couldn't help but notice when beast boy was sitting there in bed right before he got uh taken out by the uh, the terror twins tuppence he was watching hello megan
1: <laughs> yeah he was missing his mom
0: yeah yeah such uh he's such a sweet character but yeah
1: really quick detour from that i love how when they first met green beetle they were like, "Oh yeah, Martians love their TV shows." Yeah, <laughs> yes,
0: yeah. Who was that? Uh, Nightwing. Yeah. <laughs> all, all Martians love TV. Uh, well, you, and you bring up Green Beetle. He has that that great moment too, is in terms of getting like some comic relief in these like pretty heavy proceedings that were taking place. Oh, that big smile was so cute. <laughs> yeah, the big goofy smile, and even McGann is like freaked out by it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, back to the explosion, like, that broke my heart because we we see in the future when, uh, what was the guy's name, Neutron?
0: Yes, Neutron.
1: I I always have to remember Jimmy Neutron to get back to that. (laughs) Uh, But Neutron is, like, you see that his scars and everything are gone, but Mount Justice is still blowing up. And you see that there's, like, a lot of stuff that still happens in this world that leads up to the events. It wasn't just one thing. And this is one of the big things, like, yeah, that thing was solved, but, like, a lot of other shit was happening at the same time, and Mountain Justice had to be collateral damage for their mission
0: to potentially be a success. Right, right. And it was a pretty, you know... um, They played their cards pretty close to to the vest, and, uh, you know, Wally even brings it up when he kind of, like, lays into Nightwing for, you know... Why? Why take such such big risks and whatnot? Like, if a single one of you had been left behind, like, think about what could have happened. And I couldn't help but notice, like, it, it was pretty convenient that Mal just so happened to have been rebuffed um, by Karen that evening and was able to, you know, be in the position to see the explosion happen and make it to the new genosphere just in time to to get Nightwing because Nightwing just slipped into the water. Had Mal not been there, Nightwing would have drowned. Yeah. And that would have been it. So,
1: and I'm glad you brought that moment up because there, there's a few things that were really huge in that scene. One of the first ones is between Nightwing and Superboy because you see that Nightwing is starting to have his like disconnect from the OG team because he was okay. like, "How could you just talk about a place? Like, it's just a place. We'll find something new." It had to be like collateral damage for this. And then he has a conversation with Kid Flash about, like, he's under so much pressure about the league not being full capacity and hiding this and dealing with this and being responsible for a team that, like, the only thing that we can do at this point and just be like, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. I, I have to believe it's going to be fine because, like, I don't know what else to do. Like, he's, he's in a state of panic to the extent that panic reaches somebody that's part of a, the Bat family. Like, it doesn't show, but it's like... You can tell this is this is panic for his standard, and somebody had brought up in the stranded panda chat as some feedback about how we're very positive when we talk about the show, and how one of the things that we don't talk about is like how cringy Kid Flash was in season one when he like fell for McGann like within ten seconds and was just like saying the the weirdest things. Yeah, my yeah. mindset. Uh, sorry, I'm gonna finish this real quick. My no, yeah, mindset please. on that point was. It was it was interesting because I understand the demographic of what the show was going towards and who they were reaching out to. So I wanted to focus on good storytelling, more on stuff that I knew wasn't catered for me watching. But now looking at a story development point of view, like he was so cringy at that point, but you see the development and the growth of him as a character where it's just kind of like him flirting with the first girl to come in to him being like, this, this is fucking Artemis we're talking about, like, you don't risk my girlfriend's life like this, like, he's constantly worried, he's freaking out, it's on the, like, it's on his mind. like, you see the development of him actually not only knowing how to make a relationship with a woman at this point, but it's, like, this is, like, genuine love that he's depicting, too, and it's really strong And all the scenes that he has where he's expe- expressing his affections for Artemis, is so damn powerful that it's, the the level of development just within a season uh, granted it's been five years but within a season is phenomenal especially with kid flash
0: yeah we we really don't get to spend um a, a ton of a ton of time with him but that is uh a great point you bring up i mean even in terms of like how much he was used for comic relief in in season one like nightwing even brings up uh that he's sorry about his souvenirs and then Wally pushes him and is like really, really visibly upset with him. And it's, oh, yeah. it's rare that it's rare that we see that kind of emotion and, and seriousness out of Wally to begin with. But yeah, just like you like you mentioned, it just goes to show how far that character has come. Where he used to be the souvenir guy, and now that's gone on to like characters like uh, uh, Beast Boy and and Impulse. And there's even that little kind of funny joke where. Uh, Blue Beetle tells Impulse, he's like, "Oh, those—that's Beast Boy's things." He's like, "Oh, really? I thought it was Kid Flash's thing." <laughs> um, but uh, I did want to go back to the the feedback you mentioned. Like, like you mentioned, he did uh, point out the the Kid Flash humor was, you know, um, rubbed him the wrong way. And um, it's worth bringing up. You know, the show is um, over or ten years old at this point, so or going on ten years old. So not all of the humor lands, but. Uh, one thing I did notice is how that kind of humor is still there a little bit, but they did a good job of like taking it away from the heroes and the people that were supposed to like, and and you know kids that are watching the show would potentially model the model themselves afterwards. They take it away from a character like Kid Flash and they assign it to somebody like Icicle Junior. He has that that those moments with um, Tuppence Terror, mm-hmm. and I, I did just want to bring up uh, I. Th- think i mistakenly mentioned it on a previous cast but uh i always pay attention to character designs and what the animators are doing in that regard um in five years tommy terror has has become a behemoth of a man the dude is is giant compared to the last time we saw him
1: i have uh one more comparison of that sort okay i didn't think about this the first hundred times i watched this show but uh billy
0: batson is 15 now oh yeah 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 we got to see him ever so briefly in uh, in his Billy form. Actually, Shazam uh, didn't really show up much at all outside of that, that one episode appearance, right? Where he fought off against uh, Despero.
1: Correct. That was because the Justice League is worn so thin right now. That was basically the only exposure they had when they were moving the stuff into the Hall of Justice, which got beat to shit just like Mount Justice did.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely made note of that. And we got... Mount Justice destroyed, and, you know, in the span of, like, two or three episodes, the Hall of Justice is, uh, also destroyed, so.
1: Zatanna kicked ass in that episode, though, like, I know at first, the third eye kind of kicked in with Despero, and kind of put her out of commission, but the second she was back in, the way she clapped her hands, got the spell, and just went straight into action and just, like, messed Espero up. I was like, that's her. That's fucking yeah, awesome. I, I was
0: so glad she got that opportunity.
1: <laughs> I'm a huge fan of Satana in case I haven't made that clear <laughs> yet.
0: Yeah, yeah. We know. We know. But for good reason. She's an awesome character. And it was really good to um, to see her again, even though, like, like you mentioned, she got kind of taken out early. It was awesome that she was able to, like, bounce it right back to him. And uh, special shout out to uh, Despero's, uh, his little robot, Lackey, Elron.
1: I love that dude.
0: Yeah. He was pretty hilarious with his his commentary and his spectating and the whole complimentism and poor sportism. He adds ism to I everybody. was like,
1: dude, how are you going to ambush a fucking planet right now, call out champions and start like destroying shit out of nowhere and then call them cheaters? Like, no, <laughs> that's not how civilized <laughs> people work.
0: <laughs> yeah um, and then that uh, you can
1: take any of their heads you like Master
0: yeah as as much as that episode kind of felt a little removed from the rest of the proceedings I, I couldn't help but notice the fact that uh, Captain Adam acknowledged that uh, he couldn't think of a good excuse not to turn over Despero to the Reach so that really makes me wonder in terms of like their whole search for the metagene were they aware were they aware of Despero? Um, did they send Despero? Are they going to do something with Despero because like this show always does, I, I doubt this is a one and done appearance for him, but I have a theory. Okay. I feel like Despero's
1: appearance happened because of what Vandal Savage did in making the Justice League known in other galaxies. Okay. Because he made it very clear that the justice league attacking was it ran rimbor yeah justice league attacking rimbor is what put earth on the map for potential attacks yeah and you see that the lackey robot was mentioning that superman was the most powerful from earth but he was on trial right now and they were under the guardian uh the green lantern's protection so they're oh, okay. familiar with how, like, the police system in the galaxy works. And they're trying to do their headhunting within the loopholes. Okay. So it's like, Earth has no protector right now. There's nothing to stop us. Let's go find our champion over there. So I feel like what Vandal Savage did just kind of, like... It's it's similar in MCU where, like, Loki bringing the Chitauri in... And the Avengers being to hold them back, they have the dialogue with Thanos of just kind of like, Earth's on the map now. Yeah. We can show that, like, Earth's heroes are capable of holding out a bigger attack. And that's exactly what's happening to Earth in the Young Justice universe right now.
0: I I can't help but uh, think about right now. uh, I know one of the things that took place earlier on in the season was um, the launch of the Zeta Shield. So I'm Mm -hmm. wondering... Did we did we get context as to how Despero was was able to get through the Zeta Shield? Uh, my understanding
1: was just some sort of teleportation ability. Okay, okay, and not so much Zeta tech. Okay, I
0: was just wondering if maybe I
1: I could be wrong. That's my that's my guess right now. So if anybody knows for certain, then feel free to correct us.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think it's appropriate plug for a way to communicate with us real quick. Yeah, yeah. Hit us up at uh, you know Animation Deliberation. Uh, podcast, just like it sounds, at gmail dot com. That's a great way to reach out to us. Um otherwise you can always uh find us on Twitter. That's uh animation delib one. It's at animation delib number one. And then of course you can always hit up either one of us on the stranded panda chat on Facebook. So lots of ways to uh to interact with animation deliberation. The podcast where we take Action, animation, and cartoons seriously, but not too seriously.
1: If you do tag us for good news, tag me. For bad news, tag J. Scotty. <laughs> I call it lips.
0: That's fair. <clears throat> I will take. <laughs> I will take that burden. It's cool, but yeah, uh, I I guess we've kind of already danced around it a little bit. But uh, you know, well, actually, I'll, I'll ask you. Do you want to? Do you want to dive more into? Um, aqualad and McGann, and and what happened there or do you want to dive into blue beetle and some of the revelations we got there as well as his relationship with impulse our cliffhanger lands
1: with the beetle so let's cover aqualad right now
0: okay sounds good and i mean it it kind of ties into what we we were mentioning before in terms of him having to you know he solidified his leadership and whatnot uh, within the lights, and and gained access to this information, um, and was able to interact with the Reach. But the primary goal there was to provide a way to rescue uh, Lagan, Lagan, Lagoon Boy, as well as the the other uh, captives that were taken, you know, during the siege of Mount uh, Mount Justice. I keep on say wanting to say Mount Doom, and that just shows my. Proclivity <laughs> to uh, Lord of the Rings. But no, uh, it was it was Mount Justice. It looks a lot like Mount Doom af- after the fact. And now they're just Mount Doomed. <laughs> uh, you heard it here first. As much as the the reach revealing themselves afterwards kind of makes some of his efforts seem a little futile, it's even more poignant to the fact that this information was car- compartmentalized between a select few. And it's while he's on board the reach this rescue effort is happening simultaneously, and he just happens to run into McGann in a hallway and you know the seeds have been planted all along that uh McGann has been abusing her powers and she's gotten real used to um, taking the quick Avenue to get access to information and uh she seems very vengeful in the moment, so uh, we do see poor Aqualad rendered catatonic. Um, and you know, that is the side effect to what McGann does. And she gets access to all that information. She instantaneously knows what she did. She knows that Artemis is alive and is right there. And Artemis instantly is like, w- what did you do? And it, it pretty much breaks McGann. Um, it was, you know,
1: and Beast Boy was loving it.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was it was it was kind of tough because it was such a heartbreaking moment. But Beast Boy very much is that that little brother that thinks she just did something badass. Uh, but man, and it shows how how heartbroken they are by
1: Calderon's turn as well.
0: Oh yeah, because I mean, what made it all the more poignant is we got to like flash through what she saw in his mind, and a lot of it was focused on their relationship together specifically. Mm-hmm. Like you got that snippet of uh, when the the, the red siblings were, you know, attacking them and they were the ones, the two that are most susceptible to fire damage were encased in a fire cage. Um, yeah, she's, all she has for him at this point is, is hate and, and vengeance and, man, it's, yeah. The show has had so many, like, in, incredible moments and uh, jaw-dropping moments and, and heartbreaking moments and moments that are well-deserved and earned. Uh, but this was, this was definitely ranks up up there for me you know um calderon has been one of my favorite characters from the get-go and it was such a relief to find out that he was not as duplicitous as we thought and do you see Megan's ptsd from
1: what she's done now that she's had this realization when it came to fighting um despero Yeah. And when it came to just communicating with Green Beetle, who she's communicated with Martians plenty of times before, the whole thing in season one was that she was like getting into people's head and they had to tell her it's like, yo, you don't do this here. Yeah. But she's like, she's gotten traumatized to the point where she's with another Martian and she's not comfortable using what's natural to them because of Superboy pointing out how bad
0: she's been uh going about using her abilities yeah and and in terms of like the ptsd and whatnot it it kind of shows how she's uh she's shutting down a little bit and not talking about it because we see Ligon like try to reach out to her and, and and talk to her and she ignores the call and it it's not until he um you know directly confronts her and says hey can we go talk Um, unfortunately that that conversation gets cut short when we finally get the introduction of deathstroke who was really badass i'll I'll look forward to getting into him a little bit here oh you saved me asking (laughs) (laughs) i mean while we're on the subject of it i mean yeah with uh we got that incredible action sequence where uh it does such a good job of like showcasing what is cool about deathstroke in such a short amount of time just from like before he waits to like spring into action like we've seen a lot of the characters do on both sides uh good and evil he's tactical in the fact that he he blinds his enemy with the shine from his sword which was so so cool and so well animated and then he springs into mm-hmm. action and then just with the dialogue we find out you know that he he doesn't want the battle to end so quickly because he actually savers savers the the art of combat and you know he, he mentions that by bringing in allies, he's, he's basically pushed up the timetable. Um.
1: Now, this is a little bit of a speculation because I know there's certain versions of Deathstroke where he has a low level of, like, superhuman enhancement. Do you think this Deathstroke possesses that, or do you think it's more like Batman and Nightwing level tactical ability?
0: Uh, Well... We we haven't seen too much of him, so at this point in time, I I haven't seen anything that would lead me to think it's something other than Batman um, level ability, unless unless I'm just not picking up on something. Was there something seeded that you thought I should have picked up on that maybe I didn't?
1: Oh, well, I'm not thinking about it until just now either. But yeah. he was going up against uh, buffed out. Lagan as well so that's kind of what made me think about it so I was just wondering like if if that was something that crossed your mind or if it's just something that's just happened to pop into mind just now
0: uh no I I hadn't really considered it too too intently I was mainly just focused on some of the tactics he was implementing and like I said just kind of trying to pay attention to as much of the dialogue as possible um but on the other side uh it was I mean to see McGann go up against Tigress, a.k.a. Artemis, was was pretty cool, and he, even uh, Tigress had that moment, like, you know, you, you need to make this look good, and then she hurls the car at her that she ducks under <laughs> just at the last second. She's like, alright, it doesn't need to look that good. <laughs> I love her dialogue so much. <laughs> yeah, and that whole episode, I, I really liked how she was given the opportunity to kind of act as, like, a pseudo-narrator, um, and one of the recurring jokes was like anytime she was presented with like a new challenge or like the situation was like suddenly complicated her response was perfect and she would say it out loud and then in her head but it was much more sarcastic when she's exactly
1: (laughs) i kind of wish the name of the episode was perfect just the way that she did that so
0: often (laughs) yeah right yeah that would have been good uh just while we're kind of talking about Tigress and that episode in particular she got one of the funnier moments for me too, and it was kind of funny that it was Black Manta um, that was given the opportunity to, to provide some comic relief when uh, basically it's, it's worth mentioning the whole reason that they had to kidnap McGann and stage that fight in the first place is because they're trying to use McGann to to rebuild Kaldor's uh, fractured mind but basically she takes Artemis in there, into his mind space, and we get this really cool inception in the ruins of Atlantis where Tula is kind of the subconscious attacking these in- intruders but um, anyway Artemis has been standing there for we don't know how, how long a time and uh, Black Mansa puts his hand on his shoulder and he's like everything okay and she's like yeah, I feel like I've been standing here for hours and He's like, you have for six <laughs> yeah <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> uh, that got a, a chuckle out of me I mean
1: I, you you bring a black manta. I really love the the dynamic between him and Calderon right now. Like, mm-hmm. I guess for a villain to be that affectionate of a father was pretty interesting to see.
0: Yeah, it is. Um,
1: they've bonded quite a bit in the time that they've like truly known of each other.
0: Yeah, it is. It is nice to see another side to him and and see that he genuinely cares for Calderon because I think like the last time. Um, they kind of had a tender moment. I'm, I'm struggling to remember off the top of my head, but, uh, oh, okay. It was when, uh, Black Manta was getting the call to the light. He kind of, you know, brushed Calder to the side a little bit to, to go into this meeting. Um, but no, yeah, he's, he's really come, I wouldn't say full circle because he is still very much a villain, but, uh, (laughs) Always nice to, to get a, a well-rounded character that shows compassion as well. But I guess one of the other things that we have to look forward to with Black Manta, and speaking of Artemis in this situation, is Sportsmaster, who was a, a frequent player in the previous season. He's taken a little bit of a backseat this season. He basically has his whole falling out with the light. Which is where we we find out that Deathstroke's going to be the new enforcer in the first in the first place. So
1: you didn't waste any time finding my replacement, did you?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it looks like it's going to be him and Jade, A.K.A. Shesher.
1: I love the dynamic of you not being able to take Sportsmaster seriously, to thinking he's a great character, and like in in terms of like the relationship with Artemis, to just being shadowed by the fact that Deathstroke's here now. <laughs> it's like, oh, screw everything I thought
0: of you and all the development you've made.
1: Deathstroke, yay! <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: that 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 is pretty funny. But no, no, I'm I'm excited to see where um where he goes now that he's had this falling out with the light and he's partnered with with Jade and uh, you know.
1: And the fact he wants to trade like a kid for a kid, he's like, "Uh, you killed my daughter, so I should be able to take his boy."
0: Yeah, just kind of shows up how uh, shows how messed up his whole view on family really is.
1: Yeah, it is not even because Artemis is dead; it's because his reputation's on the line.
0: Exactly. Yeah, that's what's that's what's sad about it. I can't be a cheap buyout. It'll be interesting to see how he reacts if and when he he finds out that uh, Artemis is still around, and I wonder you know will he will his relationship with the, the light be too far gone? Definitely something to pay attention to. I guess uh we were we were discussing McGann and kind of uh how she got to this point in the first place where you know she got to the point where she would even commit such a, a heinous act and Superboy has kind of been the one that's been calling her out this entire time. I did mention how she rebuffed Legon's advances in terms of wanting to talk to her. But, you know, I think the the first time we see her go to John Jones' apartment in uh, Chicago, she's just getting settled in and Superboy's right there. And, you know, no questions asked. He knocks on the door and she lets him right in. So that's another relationship that's as... As much as they've been butting heads and we've learned about the falling out uh, through through various dialogue and and interactions with other characters, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to seeing them whatever whatever happens with them, I I don't know what's going to happen with them, but it seems like they are potentially, you know.
1: Love triangle.
0: Yeah. Well the love triangle's there, yeah, but uh it it already seems pretty obvious that McGann seems more comfortable confiding in him than she does with lagoon so sorry lagoon boy
1: i want to give a quick appreciation i was pointing out that no small detail goes unnoticed in this show because when john jones was leaving for his trial he said hey McGon, can you keep an eye on my apartment and water the plants for me oh yeah, yeah. now we see that she's actually keeping up with that because that was the
0: first shot of her filling up the pail, and she was about to water the plants when Connor knocked. Very good catch. I did not pick up on that myself. But yeah, you, like you said, no small detail. What would you think about uh, Arsenal on his first mission? It was, it was pretty cool, you know. It, um, the last time we saw him is when he took on the moniker of Arsenal. So it's... I, I like the fact that uh, it seems like when we see him, it's going to be in uh, in context to the grudge that he holds with Lex Luthor. Um, at least that's what I'm imagining is going to take place going forward based on this. So, yeah, again, Robin gets the opportunity to lead a covert op- operation. And uh, it's just nice to see the differences between the, the different Robins as well there. I know I'm supposed to be focusing on Arsenal, but I, I feel like it's this episode in particular that we got to, to spend with Arsenal most mm-hmm. of his interaction was in, you know, I got some loud people. <laughs> the interaction was definitely with some loud people.
1: <laughs> they were supposed to be covert, and then it has been boom.
0: Yeah, no, uh, yeah. Most of most of Arsenal's interactions were with Tim Drake as the as the team lead, and he definitely was a loose cannon. No pun intended. It was a covert operation, and he kind of threw caution to the wind with his with his vendetta, but I appreciated the fact that at the end of the episode when Nightwing was kind of having the debrief with Tim, Tim didn't throw Arsenal under the bus. He just said he's a little rough around the edges, so nice to see that uh, Tim's not a tattletale.
1: Yeah, Tim did a fantastic job in his leadership role as well, too. He was really quick to come up with solutions and analyze his enemy and uh work with the team and just be able to get all the information out quick even when a new member was added in green beetle so hats off to him for
0: how quick he is on his toes Hmm. well right before we got that uh introduction of green be- beetle which i'm excited to talk about that character a little bit more because that was a really cool reveal and we got multiple revelations with that character that'll be fun to get into but uh just before that you know we have this, this covert team that uh, their covert operations is uh, unceremoniously interrupted by Arsenal's actions, and so they have to go toe-to-toe with Black Beetle. And in this fight in particular, Black Beetle was so quippy. like, And yeah, even Blue Beetle like acknowledges, like, you're toying with us, aren't you? But the line that I just had to mention is... Uh, When Blue hits him with his plasma beam, he's like, (laughs) ah, nothing like a nice plasma bath to calm the nerves and wipe off the tomato juice. (laughs) And then when when he got hit with the, I think it was
1: the the waves, he was like, the tomatoes hurt more than that. (laughs) Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Really? You're hitting me with fruit?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He's so cocky I love the dialogue. Impulse was there too and Impulse got some uh some good comedic interactions there too because I remember when they were going basically through the tour of the LexCorp Reach facility and uh everyone's like taking samples of the fruit and he's just sitting there biting into an apple like well I'm 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 just in character here. <laughs> Even when Blue Beetle picked him up to fly away it's like you know I could get there first, right? Where are we going?
1: <laughs> yeah, I love it so much. Impulse is such a great addition.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I know we mentioned we were we we're supposed to get be getting onto a green beetle here, but I'd be remiss if I didn't like just take an opportunity to focus on the relationship between impulse and blue beetle, and I, I just love it so much, especially in episode nine where they kind of had that dick-measuring uh, competition, for lack of a better term. It's like, what you got? <laughs> and Blue's just taking every opportunity he can to blow up boulders. And uh, Impulse, his response, you know, it's it's subtle. I, he's such a lighthearted and breezy character, but we know the future that he comes from is, is anything but that. But he's able to, like, uh-huh. sprinkle in things. So he's like, if I know anything about coming from the future, it's that it's a, it's much easier to destroy than create. Uh, I, I just love that. Yeah, you zoom out and get to see he's made this uh, self-portrait that he took 1.6 seconds to create in his, uh, his masterpiece. So We did get the one, I think in this set of episodes, it was the one flash to the future where we got to see a really buffed-up version of, of Blue Beetle. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if that was Jaime Reyes or the black beetle with the blue scarab or or what but
1: i honestly have no idea yeah i'm at that point where it's like i remember flashes of what comes up but i don't remember like exactly how things go so i'm being pretty genuine and like actually not knowing where this is going right now
0: Uh, i mean it's it's a lot of content and a lot of story and a lot of characters so now i don't hold that against you at all but you know Impulse does share this, this quote-unquote prophecy with Blue Beetle. And so that's definitely a major thing um, for his character, that having this weight and having this knowledge. And they initially decide to keep it between themselves, but we get uh, what I like to call the Black Canary, Black Canary Therapy Sessions 2.0, mm-hmm. where he basically lets everybody know what's up and he wants to get this scarab off of him at any cost, like whatever it takes, and they're like, That's yeah, it's probably gonna be the cost of your life, but then we didn't spend a lot of time with Bumblebee or the Atom, but that was a pretty cool sequence where they shrunk down and tried to, you know, remove the scarab from a microscopic level. I kind of immediately knew what was going on. But it, it was it was still cool to see. Um, the
1: antibodies kicking it was really awesome too.
0: Yeah, yeah, it just it just goes to show and even the scarab says it to Jaime Reyes like I told you that approach wouldn't work so it is really really stuck into him so and not letting go it's really interesting that because of
1: the martian's physiology his ability is what gives him the option to actually shut his scarab's ai up
0: yeah yeah that was definitely definitely cool to see and and i and i loved with green beetles introduction when uh who was it that was going down the the checklist of abilities was that that was robin right he was like uh shape-shifting density phasing oh and that clinches he's
1: like all we're missing is the mind control and then he was like and then he like gets in their head right away It's like oh yep
0: he's martian yep yep he's like heroes of earth i have established this link Yeah. yeah yeah i was so excited when we got that that reveal because i mean Blue Beetle has been cool enough and had some of the best action. And then we get the introduction of Black Beetle, who is absolutely terrifying, is basically the Terminator of this of this show. And now, Green Beetle. And it's just like everything that's cool about a Martian combined with everything that's cool about a Beetle. And uh, I, I, I got to admit, we get the ultimate revelation that uh, him rebooting the Scarab and giving Jaime total control was actually the opposite of what we thought uh it's the scarab that's in full control now that was a a little tough for me to uh to come to terms with that and i'm hoping maybe we'll get some redemption down the line or maybe the opportunity for another um switching of of, of, of sides maybe of a uh, allegiances there i mean one can hope one can hope but uh it's definitely ominous at this point in time and and in, in terms of where we leave off with the cliffhanger
1: yeah
0: did you want to say anything else about green beetle in particular
1: i already mentioned my favorite scene of him of uh the smile when he was yeah. trying to make everybody more comfortable <laughs> yeah i mean he's like he's super open with the team just like yo i got nothing to hide i'm just here to help but they're like you hear a little bit of like mars origin too because like he's familiar with the white martians and he was talking about how like he's had the scarab he's been hiding on mars but he's had no reason to come to earth but understanding that the reach was over there was like what made him go oh let me go help with because they might need for this yeah um so yeah i just i love i love his dynamic he's so polite he looks so cool uh being able to uh shapeshift and use his martian powers like along with the beetle like you said like it's all the best qualities about beetle along with the best qualities of a martian i mean McGann's the only one that we consistent consistently see we don't even have any type of like martian villains we just see jean from time to time so being able to go more into martian territory is really cool
0: yeah agreed and then um i can't help but like think of the fact uh he volunteered his thoughts to McGann, but was still able to you know mask his uh his betrayal so I wondered how he was able to accomplish that if it's his his skill level as a um, as a um, telekinetic or if it's just showcasing how broken McGann is at, at, at that point in time uh, yeah. in terms of not being able to pick up on that. Uh, but you know having said that all about having said all of that about Green Beetle, um, the other characters that that figure pretty heavily into... Blue Beetle and Jaime Reyes, are uh, this group of abductees that the Reach were experimenting on that have actually started to manifest powers. And uh, one such individual is Jaime Reyes' good friend, Ty, who went missing in, uh, in our previous coverage. So, well, I bring up Ty, but now I'm kind of kicking myself for not bringing up, first and foremost, Virgil Hawkins, Mr. Static Shock himself. That was that was yep. really cool. They subtly, subtly introduced that character. He was in the background of uh I think he was we saw him in the background as early as like episode nine. He was just kinda like hanging out there in the background.
1: Yeah, it was the same episode where uh Jaime was trying to find Ty. Oh, okay. And the 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 one that he was abducted, like Virgil was in the in the pods with him.
0: Okay, okay, yeah. Um, So, yeah, we get to see this group of kids when, number one, when they escape from the Reach. And then, number two, we find out that uh, after this therapy session, they have gone to Star Labs to basically continue to be experimented on. Unfortunately, they're pretty upset about it and not uh, happy with the rule they're under. But their escape and little escapade gives us a really nice opportunity to spend spend some time with them and get to know them pretty quickly, as well as get to see their powers put on f- full display. Yeah, I I was delighted to see this version of Virgil Hawkins and Static Shock and he's still got the the manhole cover that he electrifies and flies around on, so I I love to see it.
1: There was some great foreshadowing for Ty as well because when Jaime was trying to find him and he went to his grandfather, the the chief of the community Yes, Long Shadow. He talked shadow. about how Ty's full potential hasn't been found, and his 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 higher calling is still hidden and waiting to come out. So we see that in his metahuman ability
0: now. Yeah, he basically astrally projects a a giant body.
1: It's really cool.
0: It is. Yeah, it's it's very visually cool. Like they,
1: especially the music that goes with it. Though. Well.
0: Somebody, one of the characters, like, I think it was Virgil, actually, like, when they are first escaping Star Labs, he's like, oh, can't Ty, like, get big and lift the roof off the building? And it just kind of, like, makes you like, what? Like, what's his power set? What's that even going to look like? And then, yeah, we finally get to see it. The first time, he's just sleeping and has, like, a dream. And then he, you mentioned the grandfather, he actually does name drop his grandfather and talks about how he's trying to been trying to get him to focus since he was like seven years old so now he's able to finally center himself and and have full control of his power so yeah the other thing that's worth mentioning in that episode I guess is that's I mean we all we get the big cliffhanger reveal at the end but that's when Jaime starts to show you know the first inclination that he he's not fully in control because number one he recklessly endangers the the people that are still in star labs when he's uh you know blasting uh was it red volcano we see red volcano make his return Mm-hmm. yeah meatbags yeah and i, I love the fact that he's coming back for amazo's parts like amazo has we've only seen him once but he's he's constantly been in the background of this show as a, a potential lingering threat
1: the background or on display in a museum.
0: Both. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, not untrue, and yeah, they. Yeah, it would be pretty terrifying if uh, Red Volcano was able to incorporate Amazo's parts and you know have the full power of the Justice League at his disposal as well, because his power was definitely amped up since the last time we saw him. He's able to basically like conjure giant seismic lava. Earth fists from the ground.
1: Oh yes. Yeah. I was thinking of Avatar when he was uh, bringing out like the rock piece to the Zeta tube. I was like, "This Earth bending right there." <laughs> yeah,
0: it basically was. Yeah, that's a good call. Yeah. So I mean, I, in terms of uh, all the characters and whatnot, I, I think I think we pretty much hit everybody that I can think of. Well, I guess we did get you know Lex Luthor there at the end. Um, we don't really know what the runaways decide to do there, but he certainly seems like he's recruiting them and he seems to know about Blue Beetle's betrayal as well as not being, uh, the biggest fans of the reach anymore, but you never know with Lex.
1: Yeah. Did you catch the, the static shock name drop in the therapy session?
0: Yes. Yeah. I can't remember exactly how he says it, but I do remember him, him saying it was
1: when he was playing with the paper clips. He actually said like he had the feeling of a static shock, and okay. then that's when like all the paper clips like ball together.
0: Yeah, he throws it at the table, and as he's walking out, they all like come together. Yeah,
1: yeah, because you know, like you know me, like I don't keep up with the prior knowledge too much, so I heard static shock, and then when I looked at him, I was like, oh yeah, there was a TV show about that. I didn't know that was DC related.
0: And this is where I come in and say superhero static shock woo woo (laughs) superhero static shock woo woo i
1: don't remember much of that show i just remember loving it
0: yeah it was great it was great well that's probably one i don't know if we'll if we can break down episode by episode but certainly we can do like a retroactive uh cover of the show as a as a whole that would be fun to do yeah
1: we need all this new animated content to calm down so we can cover more yeah right (laughs) previously adored series
0: Um, as, as I am looking at my notes here, I guess, um, the one character that she really didn't get that much to do at all, but I did want to bring her up, uh, was wonder girl. She got a couple of opportunities to showcase that she is a little brighter than, uh, we may have previously suspected because yeah. Nightwing has to like, yeah, straight up lie to her about compartmentalizing the knowledge. And then uh, she is the one that like is the first out of everybody to pick up on the fact that the reach technology reminds her of Blue's armor. So I appreciate it. Her
1: that. and Superboy teaming up to fight up Black Beetle was really cool too.
0: Oh yeah, and then she—that was such a brutal moment too when he was slamming her into the wall, saying that uh, he could like put her halfway through the hard way. Man, that was that was rough.
1: I mean, you always mention wonder girl when i'm thinking about how awesome barbara gordon is too because she only had like her belt just like tim drake did but she was very capable of holding her own even when all the power hitters went out
0: she was the last she one was great at
1: communicating and she, man, she bosses tim drake uh not tim drake she bosses nightwing around so much <laughs> like just giving him orders but he's just kind of like nope you're right not gonna argue it let's do what you're saying boss she just she has a she she portrays that that essence of Batman of like when I speak, you listen very well. Mm-hmm. She she does it better than I think Nightwing's ever done.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we haven't seen Commissioner Gordon in in this universe, but between Batman and Commissioner Gordon, she's she's had to get used to telling uh, headstrong guys what's up. So yeah, yeah.
1: It's it's kind of annoying. The last I saw of Commissioner Gordon was in uh, Harley Quinn.
0: Okay, yeah, he's he's pretty hysterical. <laughs> he's not
1: so much the, the stoic yeah. uh, gentleman that you want to look up to. So that came to my head, and I was like, nope, nope, go back to go back to a better Gordon.
0: That is a pretty funny subversion of that character, though. <laughs> <place. laughs> um, but you, you did bring up uh, Superboy teaming up with uh, Wonder Girl. Um, for that particular fight, and it did, for whatever reason, trigger to me that we didn't bring up the fact that uh, as much as I can't help but relate Superboy to uh, McGann a lot, Superboy and Nightwing did have a pretty, you know, heart-to-heart moment where after they've, uh, you know, rescued Lagan, they have to. Nightwing's basically forced to reveal the information that Aqualad's not a traitor. And when Lagon lashes out, Superboy backs him up there in the room and in the moment. But the second they go out in the hallway and Nightwing thinks him, Superboy kind of lays into him. He's like, N- you didn't. You don't give a guy, a guy a lot of options. It's like, your decision to to compartmentalize information is entirely why Aqualad is catatonic. And that's why McGann and Tigress are in harm's danger, or in harm's danger, in harm's way. Yeah. That makes me think of Harm from season one. We haven't seen him again. That's what
1: I figured you were getting towards. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, but yeah. Anyway, um, it was it was nice to see a real um, interaction like that because they they are still very young characters. So um, as far as like Superboy's come such a long way in terms of uh, you know reigning is in his angst and anger. This was a very justified um, anger and lashing out. I thought. Oh, for
1: sure.
0: I mean, like I said, Nightwing's just in panic mode right now. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. You you mentioned that before, and I wanted to bring up, he's the one that gets the specific line of dialogue that, uh, you know, the reputation of the, the League is at an all-time low. And I imagine that's got to shake him to the core a little bit more so than, than some of the other characters because he's had that intimate familiarity with the League for a long time, even, like, as far back as, like, Season one, when we first saw these heroes all being introduced, he's always f- seemed like he felt a little more comfortable there than the rest of them. Am I am I wrong?
1: Yes, but this is this is a stretch. Okay, I don't I don't know how much it actually applies, but it wouldn't surprise me with how this sh- how well the show portrays things like this. Do you remember the episode in season one where they had the the mind simulation of the Justice League being killed? Yes, he he had PTSD from that. He was traumatized from that. Now he's actually experiencing losing the league and losing his team. Hmm. All right. So that, that false reality is actually coming to fruition right now for him.
0: That's, that's not unfair. Yeah. That's yeah. That's what I always appreciate about your intimate. I I talk about uh, Robins or Nightwing's intimate familiarity with, the Justice League, but you really have that uh, familiarity with this show. That's why you've been, you know, you've been the uh, the Nightwing to this podcast, where I, I've <laughs> been. I don't know who I've been, but <laughs> tell me who you've I've been. been in a,
1: you've been a satisfied viewer.
0: <laughs> okay,
1: that's all I get. <laughs>
0: <laughs> give me, give me a Red Tornado. Give me something here. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I do believe that's going to bring this episode of uh, Animation Deliberation to a close, unless you've got anything else um, you need to say, Zuhair. I
1: don't think I need to say it, but the last character that we didn't quite bring up was uh, how they brought in Simon to try to get into Aqualad's head. Oh, yeah. Tigress kind of went out of her way to try to poison him based off Sportsmaster tactics and Mm -hmm. kind of caused him to be... uh, not usable for well i think they said like four weeks so i thought that was a cool touch
0: yeah simon's become like this kind of like psychic punching bag for the team uh-huh. <laughs> which is great because yeah. he ter- he terrorized them so much in that first outing like giving them all amnesia and putting them at all and an all-time low at that point in time okay. anyway now he's just kind of become cannon fodder a bit
1: but yeah they just do such a good job at like recurring characters instead of a new threat every time yep like every everything that's happened before comes back at some point
0: certainly does what goes around comes around Um, all right well uh i i think that's everything for us on uh this episode of animation deliberation so on our next episode of young justice coverage we will be covering episodes 15 through 18 so if you are watching along with us uh Plan on watching those episodes, and that episode will be out uh, uh, the week after this one. And uh, we've also begun our coverage of, uh, that we mentioned at the top of the show, we've begun our coverage of Invincible Season 1 on Amazon. So um, that show's been a lot of fun to discuss as well. So uh, take a look for that if you're watching that as well. For me, you can follow me at jscottforreal on Twitter. That's uh, j s c o t t. Number four, R E E L, and then on Instagram it's the same but just add a Y, J Scotty for real, and then uh, you know, Animation Deliberation. If you want to send us some feedback, um, I mentioned the Twitter is Animation Delib One. It's at Animation Delib One, so hopefully I can get that uh, updated to maybe something a little more. Easy to say, but uh, I'll look into that. Uh, otherwise, you can hit us up at uh, Animation Deliberation Podcast at gmail.com. And then uh, please check out, you know, Stranded Panda. Uh, that's the network that we're a part of, strandedpanda.com to see all the great stuff we're doing there. There's uh, some great musicians, some great artists, as well as a uh, a uh, wealth of uh, podcasts to check out if you're into any of this geeky stuff. There's a Star Trek podcast, there's a Star Wars podcast, of course, there's the MCU podcast and then uh, Panda Vision and Bingers are also a lot of fun. So um, that'll do it for me on this episode of Animation Deliberation. Zoo Hair. If you want to follow any of my personal nonsense, you can go
1: to Twitter and look up Zoo786. at Z followed by five views. Also, if you have nothing to do on a Wednesday night, then hop on twitch.tv slash strandedpanda TV where we do Marvel uh, MCU specifically, MCU trivia. Starting at 7.30 Eastern? 8.30 Eastern. 8.30. 7.30 Central, 8.30 Eastern. Um, I'll get these numbers down one day. But yeah. Uh, Marvel Trivia. It's fun. Lots of cool prizes. Uh, after dark, you get to hang out with us and a lot of other fellow pandas that are great company. So definitely give it a check out on Wednesday nights.
0: Yes, indeed. We always have a lot of fun. Well... Thanks again for listening, guys. Stay whelmed. Bye-bye.
1: You're invited to take a vacation. From everybody else's vacation to a place where you can explore cypress swamps and magical gardens and see a 65-foot waterfall that once powered an old mill that you can walk through today. Or just float along the cool, rushing waters of an old-fashioned swimming hole. See the places and plan your journey at visitmississippi.org slash outdooradventure. Mississippi, wanderers welcome. You're invited to explore cypress swamps and magical gardens and float along the rushing waters of an old-fashioned swimming hole. Plan your journey at visitmississippi.org slash outdooradventure. Mississippi, wanderers welcome.
0: There's a highway that stretches across the 93 days of summer where worship isn't offered to the sun, but to the smoking tire, the S-curve, and the spin turn. And if you ride it, make sure you do it in a Dodge Charger, Challenger, or Durango, because on this highway, the lines being blurred are the ones between drivers and demons. Welcome to Highway 93. Dodge is a registered trademark.